Welcome to A Word on Teaching, a podcast that explores learning in higher education. I'm Susan Hall, Director of the Center for Teaching and Learning at University of the Incarnate Word. And I'm Kathy Bataro, Director of Instructional Technology Services at UIW. Today we are talking to chemistry professor Brian McBurnett about creating safe spaces for learning. Brian teaches this really interesting array of courses, everything from the sort of beginning chemistry, just as far as I ever got, um, interesting specialty course on chemistry and the arts, things for majors. Um, so he, he, he covers the waterfront in, ter- in terms of teaching. And we asked Brian to appear with us today on the podcast because of a story he told me years ago about how he plans for the first day of class. And I just never forgot that story. So Brian, tell us, what do you, how, what are you thinking when you plan the first day of class? Well, uh, hello everybody. And, and thank you uh, both Kathy and Susan for allowing me to, to, to join you today. Um, and so I guess uh, this, this is related to a story from that I, I spoke at a different um, meeting at times. But my, my thought is really looking at, at students and thinking, well, what do they do and what did I do on the first day of class? And so you know exactly what you're going to wear. You put it out on your bed before the night before. And you're like, okay, well, I'm so excited, especially when it comes to my, my first year students. I feel like I am college. Like they don't know, have any idea what college is uh, until they come to class. I and mean, they had all of these ideas in their head. And so they, they get together, they, they come to school, they have their pens ready. I mean, maybe if they're a senior, not so much, but in, in a freshman class, they're definitely ready to go. Um, and so in that class, I, I, I want to make sure on a couple of things that the, the biggest tragedy to me is that they come to school and they see everything and they don't have an opportunity to at least meet someone else. They don't have to, an opportunity to, to interact with anyone else, to, to say hello, to say where they're from. And so it's tremendously important to me to go through my syllabus for sure, to introduce myself, but then I have to have my students meet each other. They have to say hello. They have to, in a sense, uh, you know, go through this process. It's, it's a little awkward in the beginning of the semester, but it's tremendously important to me to have them interact with each other and to say hello, say good morning, uh, to see each other, uh, introduce themselves, say where they're from, uh, what they're majoring in, et cetera, and so forth. And uh, to, that way they at least had somebody that they were able to acknowledge and, ha- and they themselves been acknowledged as well. And so that, that's part of um, my process. And uh, I continue to do it, at least saying something personal or, or at least a hello uh, at the beginning of each class and ask them how they're doing. This is an unfair question because we didn't even, I didn't warn you, but what about during uh, the pandemic? Has that become harder, easier? The what, how has that changed? The pandemic was, was, I think, the tragedy most of all. I mean, obviously, the professors had to change. But the thing that, that hurt me the most during the pandemic was the fact that college is an opportunity to re- reinvent yourself. And so I did, again, have breakout rooms where uh, students could see each other but you could look behind them and see the, the uh, football uniform being framed or the, the cheerleading uniform uh, that was there. And then, but then you also saw, saw the opposite end of the spectrum. And uh, the, the idea of coming to college gives you the opportunity to be a new person, to escape 
the room that you grew up in. And, and that was the, what was the most challenging for me was to see the, the inability to do that. And, and uh, so I still had breakout rooms. I still had people talk to each other. I had to join the breakout rooms in order to ensure that they didn't just sit there with blank screens. Um, <laughs> but in, in that, it really, uh, I was affected the most, not, not personally, so much as seeing the inability to people to escape the room that they grew up in. And, and uh, that, that was really like, this is the time, there's material for, <laughs> it's really the time to, to have transition from wherever you grew up into whoever you're going to be. And, and that was stilted a bit. I mean, that, that really was very challenging to observe and to try to overcome. Right, right. Well, I really liked um, what you had to say about that you were you were college or you are college like that very first day. I mean, that's really true. That, that's really true. And um, so when we think about that, too, then what about the frightened students? What about students that come in and really just are, are, are frightened, um, either either because of the whole college experience or because of the subject matter or or how do you deal with frightened students? Well, I, I think that, that that part of it, people are frightened just by the term chemistry. Well, there we, I didn't want to be that person to say that, but yes. And so I, <laughs> I, I, I say chemistry and then right afterwards I go, boo. <laughs> you know, I try to freak them out. Um, but I also explain uh, a couple of just kind of statements that I use on a regular basis. If, if you knew it already, you wouldn't have to be in school. Oh, there All we right. go. So if you already knew the material, there's no reason for me to teach the material because you already know it. You would have, you don't even <laughs> take the class. So if you knew the material, you wouldn't have to be in school. And the other one, which is kind of, and I, this is something I repeat often, is that I would like for you to make as many mistakes possible. So wow. make, make as many mistakes as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't teach chemistry in an hour and 15 minutes. I can introduce the subject and I need for you to go home and make mistakes. Yeah. You will learn it in the mistakes. You can wait until the exam and those mistakes will show up then. Yes. But there's a requisite a number of mistakes. So if you're scared, if you're afraid, that's okay. You're not, I'm not expecting you to know it. And two, I need for you to make mistakes. And there's a lot of protectionists, but make as many mistakes as you possibly can. And we'll get there. Well, that, that's again, perfect. I mean, how that really has to calm, uh, that calms me. That would have calmed me. I like that. I like that the permission to make mistakes and then also just putting it out there that if you, if you already knew it, you wouldn't be here. I love that. That's so simple, but it's just so true. So that has to resonate with students. I like that. Yeah. And I mean, and, and the unfortunate part is some people do already know it for him <laughs> one. Right. And so they coast into Kim two on things that they now don't know. Right. Trying to right. rest on their laurels of, of not studying the first semester. Well, there's that then. For so sure. <laughs> you got to keep repeating. It's like, it's there, there you go. Yeah, this isn't the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the the whole business about making mistakes and, and not studying brings to mind for me the, the student who, who bombs a test. Um, what do you do with somebody who crashes and burns? Well, it, it's, it, it depends on the student, for one, for sure. Uh, I've had, uh, I've run the gamut as far as, as uh, you know, uh, 
data points in that regard. And so, you know, if a student bombs the test, I've had students that, that missed the first exam and showed up for like the fifth quiz. And, and I've asked them, well, what's going on? Like, well, I've been partying a lot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, I appreciate your candor, but this is not the semester for you. Um, the, the part that, that is somewhat challenging, though, is that there's a certain math requirement in the courses that I teach. And uh, sometimes people don't have that foundation or are embarrassed by the foundation they have. And it, in, in that, I have to really get to them one-on-one. -on -one. There's certain students that they, they don't study, they haven't studied, that's, that's, that the blame is on them in, in some regard. Uh, and so they have to meet me halfway. And if they put the requisite time in, meet me halfway, that's fine. I really have to suss out if there's any kind of um, algebra deficiencies that need to be addressed. And, and that really, or even it gets to the point where using your calculator, I know that sounds crazy, but just the, the ability to input information in your calculator uh, requires a certain finesse that, that they need to be aware of. And so um, as long as they're willing to come to me and, and we can discuss it, again, that making mistakes, let me see what you do, get up on the board so I can see your progression and thinking. Because sometimes it's just a, a simple fix or something it's more insidious that they're what I, and this uh, sounds like a horrible term, math by magic. They, they learn by patterns rather than, than uh, the actual understanding of what's, what's there. Of what's going on. Yeah, what, yeah. What, why you're doing it. What's right? happening, right, right, right. Yeah, exactly, I follow patterns rather than understanding why I'm following that pattern. Yeah. Well, a little, a little, this is a little bit of a follow-up on that then. Um, how do you, what do you say to students? And this is gonna be very obvious to you, but what do you, what do you say to students of, about the application of chemistry in the lives of people who really maybe aren't going into the sciences, but, but or, or they are, like what, what, what can chemistry do for us? Well, it, 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 it's always interesting to me when someone wants to be a pharmacist or a medical doctor, and they're like, why do I need chemistry? Ooh, yikes. There are aspects of what we teach that, that are just, in, in my opinion, in the way I, I express it, an exercise in, in multiple variable analysis, hmm. which that's, I don't put it in those terms. I'm like, look, you're, but you are going to take two or more variables of unequal weight. Mm -hmm. And then you have to make a judgment call on it. You have to determine, is it, is it the electronegativity or is it the size of the actual um, atom or molecule? Uh, but who cares on that? But, I mean, that? but we're able to actually test that and see your ability to take two variables and unequally weight them, uh -huh. which is something as, as humans we do all the time. And you do it when you're dealing with another person. You take unequal variables of, okay, how are they uh, presenting themselves? What is the way they approached me? What are, how do you, so you take these unequal variables and then have to make a decision upon them. There we go. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, my students, this is an opportunity to test that. It involves numbers. Uh -huh. It involves words. And no matter what field they're going to be in, involves numbers and words and unequal variables. And chemistry is a very... A uh, compact way of measuring those abilities. Uh -huh. And so hence the reason for professional schools, even you're like, why would I ever need this? Because I want you to make those decisions. Uh -huh. 
No, no, very, very good. Do you think that physics and it all comes down to physics and chemistry life? Like if we, I, I honestly wonder, sometimes I wonder, I, I don't think people have the appreciation for science and, and science in our, our, just in our daily existence. Well, no, I mean, that, that's a, that's, that's a different podcast. Is that another podcast? <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's, I mean, honestly, it really is because, uh, you know, there's operating systems of, of what well, well, on my, and, and this is outside almost the science that I teach, but you, you, people operate on logic. Right. They operate on fear. Right. Operate on emotion. Okay. And so, I mean, if if you basic strictly on science, you're saying, oh, well, I should just follow x plus y is equal to z, or or if then statements. If you do this and that. But as as you can see in interacting with anyone, logic is only one way of looking at the universe. Emotion and fear are, are, are sometimes even more important to be in the analysis. So, okay. so th- those three aspects. So people don't appreciate science. No, they don't. Right. Even people that are in science operate on fear and emotion. <laughs> than the rest of us have that covered. We need the scientists <laughs> to talk about logic. Yeah, no, but I mean, yeah, you, but it, it, I got fear. That's a long, that's a whole different, longer conversation. It is a longer conversation. Yeah. But thank you. Thank you. Well, no is this a place maybe to ask you just a tiny bit about that course you have in uh, science and the arts? Is that relevant yes. to this whole thing? Yeah. I, well, uh, it could be. I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> that um, I, have, I have a big interest on, on one of my areas of interest is historical information and technology and how things uh, are developed and then they go away. And like, uh, for an example, the Romans had cement and were able to build the Colosseum and then you lose that technology for 1800 years until you, until you get cement back in a sense. I mean, there's, (laughs) there's, you know, how did they build the pyramids? Well, that's great. There was technology back then that was, was not now. Um, And so I have this interest in the development of, of art and science and our expression of ourselves is, is largely through the arts. But if we didn't have the science, we'd have a different way of expressing ourselves. So now you can see people making movies, digital art, et cetera, and so forth, based on the fact that they have a technological uh, basis that they wouldn't otherwise have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a, that's a long preamble for me developing a, a science of art class. And uh, it's, it's for a lot of our, 3D graphic design majors here on campus. It's for our art students and a lot of our fashion design students as well. And so that to know that there's a technological basis behind this uh, is also very exciting. Uh, and I'm, I'm been introduced and, and now am, uh, have a cohort of people that I would have never known beforehand. Uh, but also I get to introduce that material to my students. And so it, it's been a really good time and, and uh, learning the technical side of, of uh, fashion, which is, uh, you, we, we, you wouldn't consider that per se. Right, right, right. Uh, but it, it's been very interesting. Well, uh, could we ask you to think a little bit about um, something you'd recommend for people who are listening to either read or view something um, from your area that, uh, might tweak their interest. 
Uh, I know there's some, there's a couple of, of popular books out there uh, that there's uh, ones on Napoleon's buttons and another one's disappearing <laughs> spoon. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's I'm the writing name down Napoleon's buttons. As yeah, we, I, tell me uh, about it. And uh, well, I mean, uh, disappearing spoon, I, uh, those, those kind of books are more popular in nature. I guess the ones that kind of like give you a basis of chemistry and kind of a, a way, one that influenced me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that regard. It, and uh, I was not a chemistry major when I initially started my degree. My my father wanted me to make money and, and he was a social scientist and said, you got to do engineering. <laughs> and so uh, I started off in engineering and, and wanted to figure out what was inside the black box of things and what the why. And uh, so I had the book on my shelf. When I changed my major, they, uh, they made me take a one hour course and it's the extraordinary chemistry of ordinary things. Oh, Okay, so the extraordinary chemistry of ordinary things. Uh, I can see here it's by Schneider. Uh, But in that, it was kind of like, as a chemist, you're an ambassador. And so I was in a a defensive driving class, and I announced that I was a chemist. And they said, well, watch bleach. And I'm like, well, that's sodium hypochlorite. And I would have never in a million years, I don't study bleach. And and, uh, (laughs) But the fact that I had that kind of basis for knowledge made me kind of uh, made me an ambassador for for science in that regard. I love it. Ordinary chemistry is very good. It talks about uh, nutrition, uh, petroleum, nuclear energy, polymers, all of these things that uh, and it's there's probably several editions since this that go more into light emitting diodes and uh, computers uh, and all of this. But it gave me a basis of where is it around us. And, and what does that interact with? So that's, that's one that I would recommend as kind of a, a basis. There's several popular books that, that kind of give you anecdotal things that are, that are very interesting. Um, but uh, that one, I think, has kind of influenced me and one I would recommend if, if you want to have kind of an overview on things. Okay, thanks. It's on my list. <laughs> it's on my Amazon list now. Right. So, well, well, Brian, it's been so wonderful to have you here. And we always end our podcast talking about because we're we're all we're all instructors and teachers. Um, we we like to end talking about teachers that influenced you along the way. So, do you have one or two teachers well, that made an impact on your life? I had a, a a couple of teachers that that influenced me as far as learning about science. For one, one one was Mr. Bellison at at, at Corbett Junior High. And uh, I remember asking about why do clouds stick together? Like, why are they just all, I, you know, he's like, that's a good question. And then uh, I had- Is it a good, that's science, right? <laughs> it is science. Yeah. And then I had another high school chemistry teacher, uh, Mrs. Hightower, that, that really just was always very encouraging of what, of what I did. But probably the, the, the one that influences me the most as far as my style and approach is Father Bob Silverman who was the priest that I knew all throughout high school. And we went to church every Sunday and, and I uh, would see Bob Silverman and, and ironically his license plate was personalized as AG man, which AG is, is the chemical silver. for silver. So he <laughs> yeah. uh, which I thought was awesome. Uh, but, but in that uh, he would, uh, get out from behind the homily and and go through the crowd and say, okay, well, what does the Holy Spirit 
mean to you? And you're like, what? Why are you picking on me and talking to me? We're supposed to find the... You're supposed to listen, not talk. Yeah, I'm not supposed to interact or, or be a part of this. Like, but it, it's very important to me because everyone, um, well, oftentimes people do not own their definitions. They, they repeat back what they think the book should say or Wikipedia or what someone else articulated rather than own the knowledge. And so I can own the knowledge of what I believe the Holy Spirit is and, and what someone else believes it, but that's my ownership of that. And once I own it, then I have a certain grasp and I can start to understand something. There's a certain just rote repetition of repeating something back, but to put it in your own words, to put it in the way that you feel is you, then it starts to ingrain in, into the person. And so he would do that, which would scare the hell <laughs> out of people <laughs> but in, in that i mean it, it 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 was it was very effective uh you have to soften it i mean you can't just go in and point fingers and, and talk to people you have to again go in a personal level until you get to a professional level but uh i think that made the biggest influence on me on owning definitions owning knowledge owning your own opinion yeah and so that, that he, uh, doc, uh, yeah, not doctor, Father Bob Silverman. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, uh, heck of an impression. That is probably the most interesting answer to that question that I could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to get personalized plates? That's my yeah, question. No, no. I want to follow up right there. Yeah, but you exactly. can't really, because, yeah, because you don't have a, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, Brian, thank you so much for spending some time this morning with us. It was enlightening and heartwarming and fun. All right. Well, I appreciate the invitation and, and uh, thank you all, you all for doing this. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Until next time, a word to take away. Uh, as Brian McBurnett reminds all of us who teach, I am college. The podcast, A Word on Teaching, addresses classroom issues in higher education. It is jointly produced by Instructional Technology Services and the Center for Teaching and Learning at University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio, Texas. The producers are Kathy Bataro and Susan Hall. Adela Gott provides technical support. Thank you.